0: Rico, you've worked with me now for a while, and you've probably noticed that remembering names is not my strong suit.
1: (laughs) That's true. But, hey, you did finally stop calling me Rocky Marciano. That's a step. (laughs) You, yeah, Liz. I'm
0: sorry about that. You know, if I ruled the world, everyone would wear name tags at all times wow. or have their first names like tattooed on their forehead <laughs> along with a phonetic spelling.
1: Oh, noted.
0: <laughs> but I bring this up because today we're going to talk about the small but important ways we show each other respect in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And top of my list is not just remembering people's names, but pronouncing them correctly, yes. right? Yes, yeah. It doesn't happen much to, you know, we Liz Dolans of the world, but I've definitely stumbled over my share of colleagues' names uh. to the point that sometimes before meetings, I'd practice them aloud over and over again to avoid pulling a total John Travolta when he butchered mm-hmm. Dina Menzel's name on the Oscars. Yeah.
1: A duh, da zee, it came out. <laughs> yeah, a as, duh. As not, I recall.
0: <laughs> not a good luck. <laughs> but, you know, it actually took me forever to learn you can just say, I'm sorry, tell me again how your name is pronounced, yeah. instead of being so paralyzed with fear that you just avoid ever saying their name.
1: Yeah, that's good advice. I, of course, I mostly worked in public radio, so I heard my colleagues say their own names on air every day, which is basically oh. a daily primer on how to pronounce, like, Dwali tau. Uh-huh. Thank God I had that, but not everybody is so lucky.
0: No, I right? know. I appreciate how novelist Celeste Ng takes this on. Her last name is spelled N G, mm-hmm. and her Twitter handle is at pronounced. I-N-G.
1: Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Celeste.
0: Yeah, Celeste, it's on us, though, not you, to get your name right. Mm. But we appreciate the help. We are really working on it.
1: Indeed. From Wondery, this is Safe for Work, Job Stress, Life Relief. I'm Rico Galliano,
0: And I'm Liz Dolan.
1: And on today's show, we're tackling bias in the workplace.
0: First up, professor and author Dolly Chug will tell us about the ways good people can fight bias And why it's okay to be good-ish.
1: Then we will debate more of those eternal workplace questions like, what do you do when someone eats the lunch you left in the company fridge? (laughs) In today's segment of Mind the Gap. And
0: of course, we'll help you, our lovely listeners, with whatever issues you might be going through at work.
1: All that and more here on Safe for Work. Don't go anywhere.
0: What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC, with a suite of social tech capability that connects the world inside to the world outside. With Amazon Alexa, enabled with Sync 3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo. Alexa's activated by the sound of your voice. Hey Alexa, what's the weather like tomorrow? Currently,
2: it's 46...
0: And responds using your car's speakers. With Waze integration that appears right on the nav screen, you'll transform traffic jam streets into clear roads. Got a load of friends? Keep them connected with a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With the 2019 Lincoln MKC, life gets a little easier. From the moment you leave home to the moment you return. Hey, Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available by iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com wondery. That's Lincoln.com slash W O N D E R Y. All right. Welcome back. So today we're talking about bias in the workplace. And joining us to do that is Dolly Chug. She's an award-winning professor at the New York University Stern School of Business and the author of the new book, The Person You Mean to Be, How Good People Fight Bias. Dolly, I really love the premise of your work and your book, (laughs) because most of us really do want to be good people, right? Yes. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Rico, for having me here. Yes. Most of us really want to be good people. (laughs) Yeah. So we want to be ethical and fair and open-minded. I feel like I can speak for everyone, the entire massive group of five here at Safe for Work, (laughs) that we are trying anyway.
1: So thanks.
3: Yes. And I believe it. And the data supports what you're saying, that most of us are trying really hard. We don't always pull it off, but we think we do.
1: Right. Yes. Because we're
0: humans. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Which kind of leads us to our first question here, which uh, we want to be good, but you want us to be goodish. Yeah, that's the word you use what is "goodish"? good-ish? Yeah. It sounds less good to me.
3: Yeah. So I think the challenge with being a good person is that it's a super tight corner that we put ourselves in. There's no room for mistakes. There's no room for the kinds of everyday flubs that many of us make. We, in, If you're a good person, you're not a racist, you're not a sexist, you're not a homophobe. And that means that when you slip, and we all do slip because we are humans, and I'm happy to share some of the research around how our minds work and how it mm-hmm. contributes to this, but mm-hmm. we do, I, I on a regular basis, make mistakes that completely embarrass me, like avoiding somebody because I don't know how to pronounce their name, and I'm too embarrassed to ask.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I'm a professor. I I had a TA track how much I call on men versus women, and I was uh, calling on men more than women and interrupting women more than men.
0: Wow. Wow. Dolly, you are badish. That God. is totally baddish. Yeah. So thank goodness you collect data about things and could catch yourself. But right. the rest of us
3: don't really do that, right? Exactly. And that, to Rico's question, is what goodish is. So in goodish, we have room to grow. We're not in that super tight corner. We're not completely perfect and free of bias and mistakes, what we are when we are goodish is trying to get better. Yeah. And my argument in the book, and I think the stories I share in the interviews as well as the social science supports this, is that we actually are going to be better people when we're goodish than if we're good. Uh-huh. So when we're oh, good, we just, we shut down or mm-hmm. give up anytime we flub or we cover up because we don't want people to realize we're not perfect.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, not, not to uh, drop a name, but I, I, was, I interviewed Jordan Peele, the director of mm. Get Out. Mm-hmm. And his whole purpose of making that movie was to inspire debate. And he said, it's, it, I felt like I needed to do this because in a lot of ways, debate has shut down. People are so afraid of being called a racist that they won't have conversations about, about racism.
0: Race. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah I
3: love that. And by the way, that's a very cool name to draw. <laughs> <laughs> <Super
1: cool. laughs> well, I'm just saying, I'm pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> okay, so you gave us the example of you tracking yourself and how many times you called on men versus women and interrupted the women. That's interesting. Yeah. You gathered the information, and kind of paid attention to what you were doing. Is there anything you came across in the research for the book that were just other, like, easy, normal things that people could do to try to at least be aware of their own? Own behavior? Absolutely.
3: I learned about so many great things from real people in the real world and things they were doing. So one of the things, um, Rick Clough, who's a very senior person at Google Ventures and a powerful voice in the world of technology, and much of his influence happens through social media, um, he has long been an advocate for women, hires women, promotes women, um, really, uh, truly committed to the the gender equity work. And yet he was surprised when he sat down and looked at all that social media where he's so actively involved to realize that 80% of the people he was following and listening to and tuning into were men in his LinkedIn and his Twitter and his Facebook. And that was like a starting point of, whoa, I thought I was one of the good guys. I didn't realize I was also skewing um, where my attention was, who I was paying attention to and giving credit to. So he made an active effort to start switching up Where his social media was, and he noticed that he was learning new things, hearing a more varied set of perspectives. Um, He also gets asked to speak on a lot of panels. He won't speak on an all male panel. Hmm. So that's one place to start is you know, what are the inputs? For some of us, maybe it's not social media, maybe it's you're a book person or you're a movie person or you're a music person. Look at the last five movies, books, TV shows that you've consumed. How much range of perspective is there? How similar are the main voices uh, to your own in what you're tuning into?
1: How does that translate to the workplace?
3: So I I asked um, Tony Profit, who's the chief equality officer at Salesforce. So that's a pretty interesting job title. What what are you guys doing at Salesforce? And I was expecting some really groundbreaking initiative. Um, and they are doing groundbreaking initiatives. But his, his immediate response, I thought was so profound about what to do at the workplace. He said, start with meetings.
1: Okay. Start
3: mm-hmm. there. Because whatever is happening in your culture and in your organization is happening in your
0: meetings. So for example, what are we doing in our meetings that could be addressed or yep. could change some of this?
3: Who's interrupting who, who's sitting in um, the sort of key lines of sight at the meeting, who's getting credit for ideas, uh, who's being uh, brought into the discussion versus excluded from the discussion, who's being invited to the meeting versus not invited to the meeting, who's given a heads up before that meeting as to what's going to happen in the meeting. These are all little micro examples of the kinds of inclusionary or exclusionary practices that lead to the bigger macro trends within an organization and What I love about Tony's advice is that it actually kills two birds with one stone because what is like the bane of everyone's existence in organizations anyway? Is meetings. Meetings, (laughs) right? Is going to meetings. Oh my God. So we should be running better meetings anyway, right? Meetings where there's more constructive disagreement, Uh meetings where there's clearer purpose, meetings where uh, the right people are in the room who need to be in the room, meetings where we um, balance airtime between people. These are all things we should be doing anyway to use our time better and use our talent better. At the same time, by running better meetings, we also are creating more inclusive organizations because it turns out those two things are highly
0: related. Mm-hmm. Also, if,
1: if you do almost anything new or different in a meeting, people are like, oh, something interesting at this yeah, meeting know, has happened.
0: Right. I, I think I'll put my phone down and pay attention. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know, Dolly, I have a question about, like, you see stuff that goes on in a workplace, occasionally that is wrong. And or where maybe you should speak up, but you don't really want know. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be nobody wants to be a behavior cop all the time, no. right? We we worry about our own position. We have to maintain all kinds of our own relationships. Yeah. When do we step forward? How do we correct what we see? Is there a most productive way to do that? Absolutely. Um, so two thoughts on
3: that, and the research is really useful here. So one is that I was stunned when I looked at study after study that showed how much more influence we have than we realize when we do speak up and specifically how much more influence we have when we're not from the group. That is potentially the, mm. the target of whatever the bias is. So mm, exactly. in other words, if a man speaks up on an issue of gender or if a white person speaks up on an issue of race, that what the studies show is that if you're not from the group, you're not viewed as negatively as you are if you are from the group and you speak up. When you are from that group, you're viewed as more whiny. You're viewed Mm. as having a sense of entitlement. And so the data confirms what a lot of people worry about, which is they're going to take a reputational hit. But, it turns out that if you're the the ally or the bystander, you don't take as much of a hit as you might think and you're viewed as more persuasive in those moments. Yeah.
1: It actually it sound, it could be a, a kind of a gold star next to you because mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, that's Exactly.
3: Person's exactly. Person. And so and then the second thing I would say is um change consultant Susan Annunzio uses something called the twenty sixty twenty rule. And mm-hmm. I have found this super helpful in those moments where you have to make like a quick Fast decision. Of do I say something or don't? The 206020 20 rule is 20% of people in any given moment, any given organization, on any given issue, are like, yeah, let's go. I'm on board. Like, bring it on. Just you know, don't get in their way, and they're going to be your change agents. Mm-hmm. 20% of the people are comfortably miserable and are never coming <laughs> with you. They okay. are, you know who they are. Uh-huh. And Sadly. and then the middle 60, which tends to be a little quieter, is watching which way the winds go and is not super engaged or deeply committed on any point of view on this issue, but can be moved. That's the movable middle. And so, what I advise people to do when trying to decide whether or not to speak up in the workplace is try to figure out whether you're dealing with a 20 and 60 or a 20. And, you know, maybe <laughs> in your organization, it's 10 and 70 and 20 or, you know, the numbers don't matter, but try to figure out which profile you're working with. If it's, you're going to be tempted to get pulled into that bottom 20, and that's that's not the right use of your time. Those are the ones to send to HR.
0: Yeah. When you say pulled in, you don't mean joining the 20. You mean addressing the problem of the 20, right?
3: Thank you so much for yes. clarifying. I mean, like, pulled into arguments yeah. or, like, beating your head against the wall. Just
0: don't take the bait with the bottom 20. Yes. That's don't it. Don't move on with your life. Okay. If you
1: hear something going on, r- yeah. report it to HR. Yeah. Yes. But in the other cases, are you saying, like, practically speaking, are you saying that you should – well, let's put it this way – with those other two groups, yeah. the 20%, obviously the 20% are on board. You don't have to worry about them. The 60% that are changeable, but just kind of not sure what to do. Yeah, How do you in the moment address that? Do I jump in and immediately say like, hey, that was bad. I'm guessing that's not right. <laughs>
3: so so a shame rarely works. It's not that there's never an occasion for shame, but in a workplace, what I would say is that questions go a long way. Just asking people, have you thought about this? Or I wonder why we haven't recruited there. Or can you tell me more about when you said that person's not the right fit? I'm not understanding completely how you're getting there. Um, Just making visible or making vocal the things that are sort of being swept away, which is a lot of what happens with bias. It's, It's just not discussed. And I think that's where the 60, just starting the conversation, can go a really long way. And if you feel you have the formal power or the risk tolerance to be more vocal, then absolutely.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Dolly, for uh, speaking to us. Uh, Hopefully, we are part of the upper 20. I I bet you are. But we can at least be goodish. I I
0: feel like I aspire to goodishness now. I think that bar is attainable. (laughs) Me too. Thanks
1: for talking to us. And uh, come back on the show sometime.
3: Thanks so much, guys.
1: So, Liz, the other day I was working from home. Yeah. My wife comes home and is like, there's a box outside. I'm like, what's the box? She says, it's HelloFresh.
0: Yippee!
1: So, we open it up, and everything that HelloFresh says would happen, (laughs) happened. We had a nice veggie meal to choose from. You can choose from classic veggie and family plans. We had the veggie. We made it very quickly because it was just like a two-pot recipe. A lot of their recipes are one, Mm two-pot at most recipes. And it was really fun. We didn't have to plan the dinner because everything was in the box. Right. They do not lie in their advertising, (laughs) is what I'm saying.
0: No more takeout. That's it. It's over. That's right. I know. Less time, the meal planning, the grocery store shopping. Who's got time? Well, (laughs) I enjoyed my amazing apricot chicken. I went for the Meat plan—I guess they call that classic. But I love apricot balsamic sauce, which is stone fruit sweetness meets vinegary twang, mm. which I think also describes me. Rico. And country so, music, yes. So here's what you need to do to get started: to get a total of sixty dollars off—that's twenty dollars off your first three boxes. Visit hellofresh.com/safe sixty and enter the code SAFE60.
1: Again, that's twenty dollars off your first three boxes. All you have to do is go to HelloFresh slash safe sixty. That is S-A-F-E-60, and enter the code SAFE60. So, Liz, we're recording this the week after Labor Day. Yeah. And it's like the weather in Los Angeles knew that it was the week after Labor Day. It went from blazing hot summer mm-hmm. to like cool fall weather mm-hmm. overnight. It's yeah. amazing.
0: It's what we call the marine layer here. It's ah, just known as fog. Really. I'm not a scientist. But, you know, here's the thing this time of year, the sun comes up earlier, it sort of wakes you up earlier. Yeah. So, it makes your sleep even more important, which mm. is why, again, Back to the Nectar mattress, Rico. That's I'm right. enjoying it. In it's sort of a mattress for all seasons, is okay. what I would say.
1: So it worked in both the summer yes, and the summer the summer and
0: the fall. Nectar patented the most breathable, cooling, body contouring, medical grade, lush foam gel memory layer that mm. they possibly could. So it really it does feel like sleeping on a cloud. And uh, they believe in love at first night, and that has been my experience. They're so confident in their mattress that they'll give you 365 nights to get a full refund if you aren't 100% happy, but you're going to be. And they'll come pick up your mattress to get it out of your hair.
1: Yes, and in the 365 nights, you will experience both heat and cold, yes. and you'll see that it works in both. Yes, Buy now and get one hundred twenty five dollars off and two free premium pillows with any mattress order and free delivery. All you have to do is go to nectarsleep.com safe, that is nectarsleep.com SAFE to get the best sleep of your life for the rest of your life. A quick word before we get back to the show. If you've got something going on at work and you need some advice, please don't hesitate to reach out. Send us an email. Our email address is safe at wondery.com, And you can find our email as well as our social media handles and so much more in the show notes for this episode. Just tap the cover art to check those out.
0: All right, Rico. Now let's help a listener who's dealing with biased language in the workplace. We've got Colette on the line here. Hello, Colette. Hi, Rico. Hi, Liz.
1: Hi, Colette. So you have an issue, we understand, with some feedback that you got at work. Yes. Tell us about it.
4: Yes. So this feedback came from a senior leader, and this person is actually not my boss, uh, which I think is important to me. At least it makes it a little more tricky Mm -hmm. because I'm having a hard time figuring out, Especially if I think this criticism is sort of unwarranted, is it worth going back to him and and working through it? Okay. He came into my office and we were talking about something and I can't even remember exactly what I was saying, but he interrupted me and he said, you are so smart and you have a bright future at this organization, but Mm -hmm. sometimes when you talk, I feel like you don't care about people. Oh my
1: gosh. that hurts.
4: Yeah, it was a pretty heavy criticism. So in the moment, I just said I was grateful for his feedback and that there are definitely times when I know that I could choose my words more carefully, uh, especially when I'm passionate about a project. Mm -hmm. So he went on to say, you know, at the executive leadership level, people are really important. That's all we talk about is people. And Mm -hmm. so that's a part of your job that you need to get better at.
0: So he thinks he's being helpful.
4: Yes. And so we kind of left it at that and he walked out of the office and I just sort of sat there and thought, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm feeling a little biased in that because I think I'm, I'm a young woman. I feel like I do my best to be direct Mm -hmm. and to move projects along quickly on deadlines and, I just felt like I was experiencing a little bit of bias from him that maybe I should be nicer.
2: Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But
4: when really I'm doing my job well
2: uh-huh.
4: and I, so I haven't brought it back up to him. And I, do, and again, I don't know, he's not my boss. And so it's just, it feels a little weird, but the organization is very matrixed. So he actually outranks my boss.
1: Got it. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, A few things. First of all, you sound very nice to me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We'd
0: hire you in a second, Colette. uh, Sure.
1: (laughs) But let's get to the issue of of gender bias in a second. But first, uh, we have to say you did the right thing in that moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Colette, I'd say you were on the spot. It sounded like you stayed calm. You responded to him. And now you're reflecting on things and it's only as you reflect on it that you think, wait a minute, yeah, would he right. have said that if I was like not a young woman? I mean. And, you know, that happens all the time.
1: Yes. All right. Secondly, at the at the end there, you mentioned you work in a matrixy hospital system. When you wrote to us, I honestly, when I read that in your letter, I thought that you were referring to the movie. it was like you were working didn't even know that you were having energy sucked out of you by a kind of (laughs) alien system which sounded horrible but Liz that
4: that would be entertaining for sure.
1: but Liz tells me this is actually a type of organizational structure I think maybe it's important for Liz to quickly explain that to us for those not familiar
0: right I mean I don't know exactly what your organization is Colette but in a matrix it means you're sort of working up down and sideways you tend not to have one boss Uh, it's An organization that is really about influence, not control, right? Because it's not a strict hierarchy. Okay. For sure. That's your experience, right? And I would say ha- from having worked in a matrix myself, though I never appeared in any of the movies, <laughs> um, that being in a matrixed organization puts a very high value on your communication skills Okay. because you have to constantly win people over. Right, Colette?
4: Yes. Abs- that's what I'm experiencing for sure.
0: Yeah. So someone saying, you sound like you don't care about people. It's pretty tough. And even if this guy's not your boss... You still need to care what yeah. he thinks. Okay.
1: And then you add to that the fact that you're working in a hospital system and we can see where this is concerning. All right. So what we've got is you, you may indeed be dealing with gender bias. And, uh, the research that is a completely legitimate thing. The research says that in our society right now, success and likability are positively correlated in men. That is the more successful you are, the more likable you seem to others, but it's negatively correlated in women. The more successful you are, the less likable you become which is a nightmare. So <laughs> what does she do here, Liz? Like, I'm sure that you have had to deal with this in your career all the time.
0: Yes, I have, Colette. And your letter referred to the the famous Chapter 3 of Lean In. So you've obviously <laughs> read Sheryl Stanberg's book. And there's a lot of great research in there about, about this. So it's good that you are attuned to it. And I've experienced this, you know, for let's just say decades. Um, So, and I know that you can't go to HR every time. It's just going to make your life exhausting. And, you know, but it also does not mean that you should back down in the face of what I think of as just garden variety bias. You're going to experience this not maybe not a lot throughout your career but steadily throughout your career
1: hopefully less as our society adjusts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you need to establish your voice and use it. So here's sort of what I learned over time and what I did. You need to set your goals for your communication skills. If there are areas where you think you need to improve or get stronger, do you have specific areas like that that say you and your direct boss have talked about where you say, "Okay, I know I could be better at this." Do you have that list?
4: I think it could be better. So that's yeah. a good. Yeah. That's a good. Okay, so advice.
0: I I would start with that because then you you have something you can share around to the colleagues that you really care about.
1: Yeah, like actually write this down. Yeah, I
0: would say write it down. Like, here are my goals. You know, and also it's good to have that written down because then that goes to HR and you're kind of on the record like, okay, this was brought to my attention. I am addressing this. Uh, and in a matrix, you can sit down with your colleagues usually and say, here's what I'm working on. Would you help me? You know, I want you to help me improve. And that's a conversation you can have with this guy too. Mm. So do you go back to him and say, I think you were biased in the way you approached me. Mm. You could try that, but you could also go back to him and say, Hey, uh, Joe, I listened to you and now could, I want you to just listen to me for a second. Here's my plan to address some of the issues you raised. Um, I know you know that women are often dinged for saying things that men can say or do. And I don't want that to happen to me or Mm. you, really. You Mm. know, I don't want you to be accused of doing that. (laughs) So I want to tell you the concrete steps I'm going to take to be a better communicator. And then we can both kind of objectively keep track of how we're doing on that
1: the operative word being objectively yeah right so that is i uh, love that yeah you're kind of simultaneously recruiting this person as an ally in your betterment yes (laughs) while also serving him notice that maybe he has got some work to do as well
4: and there's a clear action because I think this happened a couple of weeks ago and I feel like it's just like festering in me and I get it. It does. You know, angry oh, I know. I know. So so it festers. I just want a plan.
0: Oh my God. I hear you, Colette. And do you know what else has always festered with me? That sometimes in the moment when someone says something like that to you, the first thing you do is plead guilty and then you hate yeah. yourself right. for that too. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. yes, exactly. you're right. I guess I am a terrible person. And so <laughs> finding your own <laughs> voice and figuring out how to, you know, I hate to use the phrase, stand in your power. But you're going to have to learn how to do this, Colette, because it's not going to be the only time this happens in your career. Oh, man. Finding your voice and understanding like, OK, in the moment, take the criticism and then respond later once you've had a chance to think about it and turn it into some kind of productive conversation. Yes.
1: I mean, I say on behalf of the the patriarchy that I'm, I apologize <laughs> <laughs> that you have to go through this. I think it's, I, I hope that it's changing. I do feel that this is the kind of thing that even a few years ago would not have been as easy to even bring up at all. Yeah. At least people are aware of it at this point. And I do think that generally speaking across corporate culture, there's more of an awareness of it and that it's something that should be, needs to be addressed. So you got that I think going that's for good. you.
0: I agree. We just all have to do the work.
1: Let's do it, people.
0: Okay, we can all do this. And Colette, it starts with you. (laughs) Thank you all so much. Thank you very much.
1: Okay, good luck. Good luck.
0: Bye. Okay, Rico. A couple of weeks ago, we finally hit our first major disagreement on this show. It was about whether it's better to use a staple... Or a paperclip, and
1: I still stand by the staple. Yes, and I
0: know the paper clips are the only way to go. It's it's just the right answer. Well, let's just agree oh to disagree. God. But let's see if we have any other major disagreements in today's go at mind the gap. So I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this segment by now, but just in case you've somehow forgotten, we tackle those eternal workplace questions, links Staple versus Paperclip, in Mm -hmm. a series of lightning-fast debate rounds.
1: All right. Staple. Dolan, what have you got for us today?
0: Here we go. You make a delicious lunch, and you leave it clearly labeled in the office kitchen, and then someone eats it. So send a snarky all company email or get over it
1: I think the first time maybe even the second time you get over it mm-hmm. this happens people are bad mm-hmm. uh, maybe I don't know is a snarky is the snarky email gonna do anything it'll make you feel better mm-hmm. and maybe it could dissuade somebody. I think maybe you can do that and and the, by the way probably this has happened to everybody else in the company at least once so they're going to understand that you freaked out mm-hmm. but you got to give it a couple times. Mm-hmm. A three
0: strikes, you're out situation. Yes. How about you? Yeah, it would take a lot to make me send out an email on something like that. But maybe yeah. I can say that because I have never brought a delicious lunch to work <laughs> and had it clearly labeled. So wow. mm, I'm just going to let that one go. Okay. Like, I can see why you care. Mm, not my problem.
1: All right. You stacked the deck of that question <laughs> in your favor, I feel yes. like.
0: Next one. Leave a voicemail or send an email?
1: Uh, uh Send an email for sure. It's that easy. Yeah, nobody, nobody listens. listens to voicemail anymore. Nobody, literally nobody.
0: I know. That's what I that's what I keep hearing. But here's what I do. Yes. Cuz I I love the sound of the human voice, Rico, and I just think if I really want to talk to someone about something meaningful, that voicemail is the way to go. So I leave a voicemail, and then I send an email that says, I just left you a voicemail. Oh, yes. Please listen before we talk.
1: I appreciate that, and I think that that probably works.
0: Okay, so just doubling down. Okay,
1: Yes, a combination of the old and the new.
0: (laughs) I feel that way about myself just in general. That's the way I position myself. That's good. Next up, your boss takes your team out to lunch. Do you assume your boss pays or pull out your own card?
1: Um, you, you assume that the boss pays, but you still make the move. And it can be the uh, really the most minimal move. The like lamest. Your yes. hand moves a centimeter towards your pocket. But we all know that the boss – there's probably, by the way, a company policy that says the boss has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So uh, let the boss pay for
0: it. Yeah, I don't even make the move. Just no way. As, especially if it was the boss's suggestion like, hey, we're going to have a team lunch. Let's mm-hmm. all go. To, in my mind, there's no debate. Boss okay. pays. Okay, so we're back in the office kitchen here. Uh, Coffee mugs. Communal stash or bring your own?
1: I tend to feel like bringing your own is the best thing for the social fabric of the entire organization because invariably everybody's going to take the company mugs mm-hmm. and then there won't be any mugs. And then somebody's angry because they don't have a mug and somebody took their company mug because they have wars. as much yeah. mug
0: wars break out.
1: Bring your own and that'll also motivate you to clean your own. That's another problem that mm-hmm. happens when mm-hmm. nobody owns the mug. Well, that's
0: our next issue. So. Oh. So so first I'll just say I'm fine with the communal mugs, I don't care. Okay. Whatever. Good. Everyone ends up with everybody else's mugs anyway. So Is that
1: really? If, <laughs> don't I'm, you think? If you take I have a special <laughs> Billy Bragg mug and if I bring it to work and you take it, I'm gonna be mad.
0: Okay, once again, you're in the clearly labeled category. Keep your hands off my steps. We are learning a lot about you here. Staples. Okay, the last one. Passive aggressive signs in the kitchen. This seems like it would be a strong suit for you. Um, (laughs) Passive aggressive signs in the kitchen. Overkill? Are all right.
1: That is, it's it's kind of overkill, but it is also it's crazy how necessary it is. Mm-hmm. I worked in public radio. These are very progressive people, very grown-up people. They're journalists. They know how the world this has works.
0: Nothing to do with being progressive. I am.
1: I'm. I'm just saying that like our kitchenette was a sty <laughs> when <laughs> until they basically said, okay, well then we're not going to have communal plates and we're not going to have the whole thing where there was like going to be a round robin way that everybody shared the cleaning of the plates. Yeah, it was like that doesn't work. So well like a
0: chore a uh, chore it was like a chore, <laughs> chore wheel short. yeah a chore wheel
1: <laughs> oh that basically. is so
0: childish kindergarten
1: we got rid of it and then it was all just like it was and terrible for the environment but it went to paper plates yeah
0: yeah. Well, you know, the classic one is your mother doesn't live here, do your own dishes. I find that completely objectionable, you okay. know, just on a purely gendered <laughs> level about that. That's true. The one here at Wondery is like really sweet in a passive-aggressive kind of way. I would go with this. It just says, I wash my own coffee cups, so you can too.
1: Oh, so nice. you See? can. You're empowering yeah, someone. It is. <laughs> to also.
0: You're going to enjoy this.
1: <laughs> nice job, Wondery.
0: Okay, Rico, it's time for more wisdom straight from the source of the knowledgeable folks at ZipRecruiter. That's right, it's time for another Zip Tip.
1: And today we're going to talk about a uh, a blog post on ZipRecruiter. It's titled, Six Crucial Things Every Job Posting Must Include. And I actually found this interesting even from the point of view of an employee, someone who reads job postings from time to time.
0: Okay, so here's the six. The right title, yup. A great job summary, yup. Only true requirements, real requirements, the specific location, And not everything.
1: (laughs) Like not everything. Don't put everything on the job (laughs) posting. But uh, there were two that stood out, I think, to you as well as me. Those two headlines, only true requirements Uh on the job posting and real requirements. So what is the diff? (laughs) What's the diff? It's actually fascinating and I think true. True requirements, they're talking about you don't want to put so much down on a job posting that people read it and say they're not qualified when in fact they are. They are. And this right. has happened to me so many times. I'll really? look at a job posting and it'll list job requirements, and I've done this job before, and I know that those requirements are not necessary (laughs) to complete the job. And so I don't apply, and I wonder how many other people who are qualified. Think of all the
0: great jobs you could have gotten.
1: You know, (laughs) I guess it's my fault partially. But then real requirements Uh is basically not having enough of a weeding out factor in your requirements, like only putting a bachelor's degree in English.
0: Yes. That's... But if you need to speak Hungarian, that needs to be, that's a true requirement. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay.
1: To get more great tips like that and to help support our show, go to www.zipprecruiter.com slash safe. That is zipprecruitercom slash safe. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: Okay, Rico, you ready to help another listener?
1: Always. We've got Lee on the line here. Hello, Lee. Hi. So tell us about your situation. We understand you're, you're planning a move, perhaps.
2: Uh, quite a few moves, actually. Um, so next year, my fiancé has to move to another city for a year. Okay. Uh, after that, he'll move to a different city for a year. mm
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, And then he'll move one more time to his final city. Oh, my. Uh, that will likely not be where we are now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so my intention is to go with him. Uh, So, my question is what are some smart options to do for work so that I can still maintain a career uh, Mm. knowing that these moves are ahead.
1: I see. I'll start Liz. Okay,
0: go ahead Rico. Uh,
1: when we get questions like this and yours is not the first, our, our first instinct is to mm-hmm. say uh, you should indeed find a job before you get there. Right. Because that job is not only going to help you pay your bills it's also going to give you something to do and uh, it can also help you build your own social circle apart from your fiancés which is a very healthy thing to do. Right. But I, we were Liz and I were talking before we called you and apparently what you Are experiencing is called a thing, it's an actual phenomenon. Yes,
0: yeah. So, Lee, what you are about to become assuming that your fiancé becomes your husband, uh, is yes. the term for this is a trailing spouse. Now, please don't take that personally. <laughs> that is not meant as an insult. Mm-hmm. It's a term that was coined in the 80s by a Wall Street Journal reporter to describe the spouse or partner who accompanies the partner on a job, mm-hmm. right? And that's pretty common. Your note to us said that your fiancé is a Ph.D. student, so he'll have several stops at least before he lands somewhere. Yes. Sad, yeah. sad yeah. or cool to say, yeah, depending yeah. on how you look at and it. And so so academia is, if that's where he is landing, that's one of the areas, as well as global companies, and the military is an obvious oh, yeah. one, too, where there mm-hmm. are a lot of trailing spouses. So is that a little bit of the life that you see for yourself?
2: At least for the next few years, yes, yeah. I do. I think after that, we'll settle somewhere, but at least for the next few years, I will be a trailing spouse.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So luckily for you. Someone very close to me, my older sister, has a lot of expertise on this. But also, you Mm -hmm. can read a lot about how to get established in a new town. So, you know, I looked at this list of what experts suggested, and it's things you probably, your common sense would tell you. Ask for help from your partner's company, that if your husband is Mm -hmm. affiliated with a university, often because there are so many two-career couples, they do provide some job placement for for the other half. So try that. Tap your existing network. Always true when you're looking for a job. Sure. Join a professional organization and consider a volunteer or part-time work when you first get okay. to a town. So, but here's what the true expert, my sister Julie, said.
1: <laughs> yeah, because <they> really, because <laughs> that's what you called in for it was yeah. for the sisterly <laughs> advice. I mean, let's but, hear it. But
0: you know, she's moved 15 times, including to multiple countries in what? her married life. Yeah. Yes, and so she's had to start over professionally and personally a lot. Mm -hmm. So she said, one of the reasons I stayed in academics was because no matter where we moved, I could continue my career at a different university. So she had been at Tulane and then Stanford Mm -hmm. and then UCLA as her husband's career moved around. So she said, it's good to identify careers that are portable or we're having cross-training as an asset. Hospitality is another industry where you can continue and advance no matter where you Ah, land. So think about that.
1: Be a concierge. Yeah. And she (laughs) said,
0: I think you learn to be flexible with all the moves. And in her case, she writes, the moves led to career advancement not interruptions. Plus, this is really key, Lee, it's certainly important to have your own thing so you don't resent your partner. Yes. So, you know, because uh. if you feel like you're constantly starting from scratch mm-hmm. as your partner is climbing a ladder, you know, even though you, hypothetically, that sounds like a good idea, like after years of that, maybe doesn't feel so great. <laughs> right. But I want to tell you, Julie, who is older than I am, as I mentioned, is celebrating her 40th wedding anniversary next month. So, so. she is. Totally figured out how to make this work for her and for them.
1: Do exactly what Julie does okay. and yes. everything will be fine. <laughs> Can I ask you, is what is your uh, line of work?
2: My degree and training are uh, health promotion and, like, worksite wellness programming. Okay. Um, that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. And I'm kind of expanding now into employee satisfaction, engagement, and, like, training initiatives as well. So I kind of manage all of that.
1: Okay. And I mean, I, it, it feels to me, I mean, I, I haven't done like deep research into those particular fields, but that those feel to me like that's something that there'll be a demand for in lots of different places. It's not like you're a right. Broadway yes. actress or something right. where you need right. to be <laughs> on Broadway, kind of. You also mentioned uh, in the note that you sent to us that you were wondering whether You should tell people in job interviews that you may only be in each town for a short period of time. And if you, I don't think there's any reason to do this. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) because uh, mainly because you never know, like you could actually end up loving whatever the first job is that you get and they love you. And so they figure out a way to make it portable so that you can Uh, do it remotely. That's a good point. You know,
0: that's true. I'm not
1: lying. Mm -hmm. So I hope that that all helps and have fun. I mean, it can be, I I know a nomadic life can be stressful, but it can also be pretty cool. You get like a new place to check out every few years.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it's all about attitude.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Have fun.
2: All right, thank you.
0: See
1: ya. Bye, Lee.
0: In case you missed anything during today's show, just tap the cover art to check out the notes for this episode. You'll also find our email address, which is safe at wondery.com. And if you want to support the show, you'll find some great offers from our sponsors as well.
1: Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at Wondery.com survey. It'll help us make the show better for listeners like you.
0: Excellent idea. This episode was hosted by me, Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister, and Rico Galliano, host, journalist, and anti-brunch author. That's right. Our original theme song is composed by Martin Blanco, audio engineering by Misha Stanton, produced by Cameron Kell. Executive produced by Allison O'Neill and Marsha Louie. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy,
1: but you don't have to.
0: the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you. Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC, with a suite of social tech capability that connects the world inside to the world outside. With Amazon Alexa, enabled with Sync 3 AppLink, you have access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo. is activated by the sound of your voice hey, Alexa, what's the weather like tomorrow? Currently, it's 46... And responds using your car's speakers. With Waze integration that appears right on the nav screen, you'll transform traffic jam streets into clear roads. Got a load of friends? Keep them connected with a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With the 2019 Lincoln MKC, life gets a little easier... From the moment you leave home to the moment you return. Hey, Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and link software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com Wondery. That's lincoln.com slash W-O-N-D-E-R-Y.